you have your copy of God's Word tonight, and you would, uh, find 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, as we are finishing, Lord willing, tonight, uh, the book of 2 Timothy. And we've talked about how this was Paul's last letter that was inspired and errant and fallible that came into the Word of God. It's really about what mattered. It was about to pass on what he was doing as his life was coming to an end and to make sure that all of the hard work, all of the service to the Lord had um, continued after he is going to pass away. And so we've been looking through this wonderful book about the fact that he is uh, telling Timothy, the young preacher, to preach and to uh, not give up and to not quit and all of these words of encouragement and warning and correction and how Paul wept tears of joy for him. But when we come to chapter 4, verse 9, there are really a lot of things we could talk about tonight, but um, there's only three that I want to talk about, and all of us can relate to it if we've lived any bit of time. And the first tonight we're going to look at is foes. All of us have opposition, whether it's in our place of employment, whether it's in our own family, or whether it's in church. Second thing we're going to look at tonight is fellow laborers. Some people might call these friends, but I'm not really keen on using that word. It's difficult for me. So fellow laborers is better. And those who serve the Lord with us together, those who live life together with us, those who God uses to work and move through to accomplish His purpose. And then tonight we want to look at really where it all wraps up at, that the Lord is faithful. And so these last words that he gives to them start with an urgent request in verse 9, and then we'll pray. In verse 9, look with it, me when it says, Be diligent to come to me quickly. Paul says, I've got a need. I've got a physical need. I have an emotional need. I have a spiritual need. And I need you. Tonight, before we jump into this sermon, I hope that you know that you cannot do it alone. You cannot serve God alone. You cannot have the Christian life alone. You need other believers. You need people that can encourage you. You need people that can correct you. You need people that can be there for you in times of difficulty. Sometimes it's a spiritual need. Sometimes it's an emotional need. And sometimes it might be something like Paul says, bring me my cloak. It's cold in this dungeon. Winter's coming. I'm already in a bad situation, but a little bit of comfort and help is needed. And so tonight, if you would pray with me, we'll begin. Father, tonight we thank you so much for who you are, how you work, how you move. Tonight, Lord, I just pray for the words that are going to be said here tonight, the scripture that is going to be looked at, Lord, that it would accomplish its purpose. Tonight, Lord, as we have the privilege of gathering and the freedom and, and protection to worship, Lord, my heart goes to Israel tonight. Lord, just knowing what your word says, that their rejection of you is not final. And Lord, there is coming a beautiful day, as your word says, that their stumbling is not final. Lord, that there is going to be a day when the Jewish people are going to recognize you and worship you 
as the Lord and Savior of their life. And so, Lord, we just pray that as we worship here tonight, Lord, we do not take for granted the privilege that we have to gather, to sing, to pray, to worship your name, Lord, in a wonderful, wonderful place. And so, Lord, we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so tonight, let's look at foes that Paul talks about. It always cracks me up in church because we're never supposed to have any enemies. We're never supposed to call out anything that's wrong. But yet Paul writes it in a letter and sends it to Timothy. And then that gets published in the Word of God. And for all generations, we can now look here and see that there were some stinkers in the church. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful no one was inspired to write a letter and put me in it, all right? Because you might be thinking, oh, I'd be the other part of this. No, most likely all of us would be the stinkers if we're not careful. And so look here in verse 10, the first part, and we'll jump down in verses 14 through 16. We'll look at all the verses tonight, but we really want to lump them together. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. If you jump down to verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Some Bible commentators believe that the hole that Demas left as such an important person in Paul's ministry is one of the reasons he was asking Timothy to come. Because Timothy was the only one who could really feel this void. And when you and I think about that, there are people in our lives that mean so much to us. If they were to abandon us, if they were to betray us, if they were to leave us high and dry, it would almost be a hole that could not be filled. All of us have people in our lives like that. Hopefully it's the people that you are married to. I hope it's the people that you go to church with. But all of us have people in their lives that are very influential. They're, they've been used, they've been valuable, they have, have been someone that we've invested our time and life into. And he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And when Paul talks about this, he doesn't just give us the idea that he went running away to hide. No, he went running with the idea that he still wanted his standing. He still wanted the church at Thessalonica to think highly of him and to support him. And so Paul has this understanding that he's not just leaving. He's leaving to cause trouble when he gets there. And when we look at verse 14, we see Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. Now some people read this and say, well, Paul was a little vengeful. No, Paul was not vengeful. Paul was saying, you reap what you sow. Because look what he goes on in the very next verse and shows us his heart. He says there in verse 16, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Tonight you need to know whether it is in your family, whether it is at church, whether it is a pastor, whether it is a deacon, there are going to be people that hurt you. There are going to be people that not just hurt you, they maliciously try to destroy you for whatever reason it is. Sometimes it's jealousy, sometimes it's self-righteousness, sometimes they have a valid claim that they have been hurt. 
But friends, all you can do is make sure that you forgive. What did Stephen say when he was being stoned? Don't hold it against him. What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. Paul is just modeling to us a Christian belief that we cannot, we must not, if we want the blessing of God to come to a place in our life where we want God to destroy other people. Now Paul can say here, Lord, you need to do with him what you will because these individuals were not just hurting Paul, they were hurting who? The church. Do you not see what it says there? Beware of him. That means this Alexander was still stirring up trouble. He was still causing problems. He was still trying to ruin the church. And so Paul says, Lord, do whatever it takes to stop him. Do whatever it takes to make him realize that this can't go on. You say, well, Paul was the exception, right? Well, you can go back to some of the oldest scripture in the book of Job and listen to what Job said about those that he thought would stay with him to the very end. He has removed my brothers far from me, and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed, and my close friends have forgotten me. Job says, everybody that was here when my table was full, everybody that was here when the blessings were coming down, Everybody that was here when the party was going on, they're all gone. He said, my acquaintances, my friends, and even the one that is the most painful, my own family, they've all abandoned me. Judas, as we know, betrayed the Lord. In Matthew chapter 26, the Bible tells us in verse 47, and while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given him a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Jesus did not need to ask that question. He knew why. And Bible scholars have debated about why he asked this question. And I cannot give you a good answer, but I can give you the one I think it is. I think he asked that question for him to think about it. Just like he asks each and every one of us through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to accept him? Are you going to reject him? Are you going to love Him? Are you going to deny Him? And so when we look at this, we need to be understanding that no servant is better than his master. And if Paul struggled, if Jesus struggled, if Job struggled, if Moses struggled, if all the people of God throughout human history have always struggled with enemies, we should not be surprised. But in Hebrews chapter 12 is one of the most important verses for you to live your Christian life against opposition. Now you might be saying, well, Jake, I just live with my head in the clouds so high that I don't even know that I have a foe. Or I just walk through church like nothing matters, like there's no big deal. I don't worry about anything. I just put my blinders on and I just walk right through it. 
Now, I'm going to say this, and some of you are not going to like it. Some people, when they get devour, done devouring you, they're going to turn it somewhere else. And if you're a spiritual leader in this church, deacons, Sunday school teachers, pastor, staff member, when you turn a blind eye to someone devouring you, at some point they're going to turn and devour somewhere weaker than you. And when you stand before the Lord someday, you're going to have to answer for that. Because God raised you up to take a stand. God raised you up to be a spiritual leader. God raised you up to be a pillar in His church. And it's our job to protect those who are weaker. That's all right, I didn't expect an amen, but that's okay. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The only thing that will keep you from being discouraged and wanting to quit is remember what Jesus went through and that He went through it anyway. When you get tired and frustrated and beat down and, and feel like you can't go anymore, you always have to turn your eyes to Him. What the Lord went for me. What the Lord struggled with for me. All right, let's get past that part because you're all looking at me really terribly tonight. Fellow laborers. This is where it gets to be encouraging. Starting in the second part of verse 10, we'll read the first part just for the sake of accuracy. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. But then he begins to list the people that are loyal, that are faithful, that have served him. Crescens for Galatia. Titus for Dalmatia. Verse 11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me. In verse 12, And Tacchaeus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I have left with Carpus at Troas when you come. And the books, especially the parchment. You go down in verse 19 and it says, Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. He then begins to tell Timothy that even though Alexander has betrayed him, even though Demas has betrayed him, even though the church is in, in trouble, there are still faithful men and women of God. And he lists while there is some cities under attack, he says there are some in these other towns and provinces like Galatia and Dalmatia. And if you go to Troas or if you went to Corinth, or if you went to Ephesus, know that you're not alone. Know, Timothy, that you are not the only one that is carrying on the mission that God has for you. It's going to seem like you're alone. It's going to seem like you're by yourself. It's going to seem like everyone's turned against you. But never forget, there are people who love God, who have served and been faithful, and you're not alone. Tonight, I want to encourage you with that. Because sometimes it feels like we're the only ones left. I look around at other churches and I think, what in the world is happening? Is there no one left that believes the Word of God, that preaches the Word of God, that applies the Word of God? I can be in groups of pastors and think, what in the heck is wrong with you people? It just blows my mind. 
And I can be one of those people that feels like I am all alone fighting for the kingdom of God. And God has to remind me, you are pretty insignificant in the grand scheme of things, and it is not about you. It's not about you, Jake. In Psalm 25, verses 1 through 3, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Now don't miss that. Don't miss verse 3 in that. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. And that word for waits is waiting while you have faith. That means wherever God has you, whatever God is asking you to do, you have to know that God is not going to leave you alone. God is not going to leave you in a place where shame and regret overwhelms you if you'll just be faithful, if you'll just hold on, if you'll just keep trusting Him, even though it might seem like you cannot stand, stand a little longer. It might feel like you cannot keep praying because there is no answer, keep praying. If you're weeping over a situation and you don't think you have any tears left to weep, He says, keep weeping! Don't quit! Don't give up. But it also gives us a word for pastors and churches. In Hebrews chapter 13, the Bible says, Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. The writer of Hebrews tells the church, Your pastors ought to consider a joy and not with grief when they lead you. Now that goes two ways. Right as a pastor, I have to remember there's joy that comes from the Lord even when you don't like me. But on the flip side of that, as a congregation, you should say, what kind of a way can we be that would bring joy to the shepherd that God has sent us? It's a two-way street. Not, oh, not again. Not here we go. I've sat through sermons and thought that. One of the most annoying things that ever happened when I was growing up in church. Now, some of you have got those about me, and that's all right. You can take them to your grave, or you can write a book about them. I don't care. It's when a pastor would say, now, I'm going to get up on my soapbox for a second. Well, first of all, I'm not old enough to know what that reference even is. I have no idea what that means. Is that a regular box? Is it a cardboard box? I don't know what a soapbox is. Just a box. And it would drive me nuts because it was a time when the Bible was being preached, but it was a moment to step off and just say something else that was important or not important or important to them. Drove me nuts growing up in church. And so when that would happen, I'd think, oh, not again. Grief. And so as a pastor, I have to be very careful at when I preach the Word of God to, to be very careful about certain things. Like I say right a lot when I preach. Right? I do that instead of amen, because a lot of preachers say amen, amen, amen. Listen, I think you ought to amen. I think the Spirit of God should lead you when you are in agreement with the preaching of God's Word to say amen. But I ain't no pony show. If you can't do it by the Spirit of God, I'm not going to make you. And so that's just a pet peeve of mine. 
And so as we serve God together, the longer you're together, what happens? The annoying things begin to rub us the wrong way. That's just the way it is. But as a pastor, I should look for ways to serve and honor you with joy. And you should look for ways to be a church that brings joy to one another. And then in verse 18, it says, pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience. In all things desire to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may restore to you the sooner. He says you ought to be praying that God brings us together. That God brings us together in spirit, brings us together physically, that we can live in such a way that the world looks at us. Then the third thing I see from this about all of these encouragers and all of these fellow laborers can be found in the book of Galatians. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, Let him who is taught the word of God share in all good things with him who teaches. It's talking about a relationship. It's not you versus me, me versus you. This, we're in this together. We're serving God together. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Paul said that a minute ago, didn't he? About the man who had abandoned the faith. The man who is destroying the church. How you love the church of the Lord Jesus Christ can either bring great rewards for you or great burdens. You say, well, Jake, the church is not perfect. You're absolutely right. You say, Jake, I struggle with this about church or that about church. And I, I struggle with this and that. I understand. But what God expects us to do is to get in and to work and make it better and know that God blesses those who love His bride. This is the Lord's church. The Lord is coming back for her. It's not mine. It's not yours. And the Lord loves His church. It goes on in verse 8 of that passage of Scripture and says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Now I want you to read that verse with me just again in verse 9. For in due season we shall reap. There's the promise. right? God says we'll reap. But there's also a provision in there. And then it's what? If. <laughs> now I'm not a smart man. I've never claimed to be a smart man. You've heard me preach and can validate that I am not a smart man. But if God says you can have these blessings right here, if you'll just do this, I believe that's what he means. And if you do not want to see these blessings in this church, or in your marriage, or in your life, or in your family, all you have to do is say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do good when I get tired of it. I'm not going to forgive when it hurts. I'm not going to be long-suffering when I've had enough. It says, when you grow weary, it will be doing good. Why? Because all of us get tired of feeling like we're being taken advantage of. We expect the wicked to do wicked things. 
We expect the lost to do lost things. But by golly, I'm tired of no one working in the nursery. Or I'm tired of being the only one in the kids department. Or I'm tired of this. Or I'm t That's where we have to be careful. I'm the only one serving God. How does it look in a marriage? I'm the only one trying. I'm the only one that's willing to forgive. I'm the only one that does the laundry. I'm the only one that picks up the house. I'm the only one that pays the bills. They're not doing anything. We grow weary doing good. You see, be very careful not when you are living in sin because the Spirit of God convicts. The Spirit of God works. Be very careful when you think you're doing good and you're doing it for the wrong reason. That's when you have to be careful. That's when self-righteousness sneaks in. That's when self-righteousness begins to influence our heart. But don't forget that the list of people that Paul said had betrayed him was two. The people that God had used to encourage him and help him was twelve. Friends, why is that? I believe it's because Paul sowed liberally. Paul was willing to preach and to teach and to mentor and to do good and to be beaten and to be stoned and to be shipwrecked. He was willing to work as a tent maker so that the church wouldn't be burdened by his salary. Paul said, everything I have, I'm willing to give to God. And God says, you will reap a great reward. Not just here, but someday in heaven. And I ask that question to you tonight. When was the last time you mentored someone? When was the last time you discipled someone? When was the last time God used you to help grow up a new believer? You say, well, Jake, I just don't get those opportunities. Oh, shoot. It's because you don't want them. Or you're not willing to sow when God gives you the opportunity. Because I'm telling you, if you want it and you'll do it, He'll give it to you. That's why most churches never see anybody saved. It's not that God doesn't want to save sinners. If we're honest, most churches are just too busy to deal with them and to mentor them and to disciple them and to invest in them. How about new people? How many times does churches struggle with new people? New people because someone's got to oversee them. Someone's got to watch out for them. Someone's got to get to know them. Someone's got to make them feel welcome. And let's just be honest. Sometimes we want to get in and we want to get out. Sometimes we don't worry about the guests because I've got places to be, things to do, screaming kids. I get it. After church is a stressful time. My kids are jumping on people, climbing on things, breaking stuff, running in the parking lot. And I just sit out there thinking, what's going to happen to them? Right? And I'm just shaking at the back door looking at them like, you don't stop pulling your sister's hair, I'm telling you. And so I can be very out of it, but yet every person matters. God sent them here. It might have been the first time they've been in church in years. It might have been the first time they've ever been in church and someone spoke to them. Because, friends, people have visited here and left and said, no one spoke to me right here in this place. But the third and final thing, and I'll be done. I've soapboxed enough tonight, huh? Yeah, caught on to that one. We have foes and we have fellow laborers. But friends, never forget that the Lord is faithful.
Look what it says in verses 17 and 18. Paul says, but the Lord stood with me. He says, everybody else abandoned me, but not the Lord. And not only did He stand with me, but He strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully throughout, through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Now, I don't want you to miss that, because this goes back to this morning. The reason that the Lord stood with him and strengthened him was not just for Paul. It wasn't just so that Paul didn't feel alone. That's important. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't that that Paul didn't just feel abandoned. That's important. But Paul said he was with me and strengthened me for a purpose. And what was that purpose? So that the message might be preached. That the good news of Jesus might spread. Paul says, I'm glad he was with me. But more important than him being with me, it's what he was doing with me while he was there. And that's the same thing we looked at this morning. The disciples were glad that Jesus was there. They were glad that he was on the boat. But they were really glad when he got up and did something. And friends, it's a delicate balance. You have to want the presence of God more than anything. I want a relationship with him. I want to study His Word. I want to know Him. I want the Spirit of God to deal with me. I want to enjoy what it means to be a child of God. But never forget, being used by Him is just as sweet. It's such a precious thing to know that God has a purpose for your life. He goes on and says, Also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. That just means all danger. It can mean anything, but that every time Satan came at him, God protected him and delivered him. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And if you jump down to verse 22, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Now there in verse 18, it says, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. Now we would be thinking, well, how is that true, Paul? You're sitting in prison and you think you're going to die. You think this is it. You've got your your house in order, your letters writ. But don't miss what he says. And preserve me. Paul says, everything God's going to allow me to go through has heaven in mind. He says, I'm not being preserved so that I can have wealth on this earth. I'm not being preserved so I can have a bigger church when I get out of prison. He says, everything God is doing is to use me, and He promised me when He's done with me, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that I will go to be with Him. And you say, Jake, I'm tired of the Sunday morning sermons and the Sunday night sermons being the same thing. Then I don't know. Listen better in the morning. That's all I know. Because what it says, the same thing. Use me, Lord, until you're ready to take me home. God, use me to minister to my family, to my children. Now, I don't know if you thought about this, but there's a good possibility. Here in a few years, I could have a lot of grandchildren. I mean, I could have a bunch of them. And uh, I just hope I'm in my right mind to enjoy them. But I pray, Lord, that the number one thing that you help me to do when they get here is to model Christ to them. Do I want to spoil them? Do I want to treat them the way that my parents never treated me but now treat my kids? You betcha! All right? 
I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to all of it. But more than anything, what does it profit to give them everything and not give them Jesus? What does it profit to teach them every hobby, every skill, every enjoyment and then not be used by God to minister to them the most? And grandparents, I don't understand it because I'm not a grandparent. But there is something about the way a kid loves his grandparents. You know they're broken and sinful and fallen, but it don't matter. And friends, if you think God gave you that influence, that special relationship with them, to be used to teach them something more important than Jesus, you were sadly mistaken. You ought to teach them lots of good things. You ought to teach them how to hunt and fish and blow stuff up. I'm all for it. But you better teach them about Jesus. You better use that influence that God has given you. Because that's what Paul says, I'm being used up until the very end. And I'm okay with that. My prayer for this church, 203 years later, is that God will use it to the very end. I pray that when the rapture happens, and I believe it's going to happen, that I believe the seven years of the tribulation period are going to happen, and I don't want to be here for any of that. I believe when the rapture happens, my greatest prayer is there are very few of you here. I pray that you cannot come to church, and the only people missing is the preacher and a few people that are here on Sunday nights. I hope this place is empty totally. Friends, the only way that can happen is if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That you know Him, that you love Him. Because even though Paul says all of this matters, all of the ministry, all of the, the churches, all of the people, verse 22, he says, The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He's just saying, Let the Lord be with you. That you know Him, that you enjoy Him, that you love Him, and that you've trusted Him. Because, friends, what does it do any good to preach 10,000 sermons and miss heaven? What does it mean to sit through 10,000 sermons and miss heaven? It doesn't matter. All that you do for God, it doesn't matter if you don't know him. And that's why Jesus said on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done all of these things? And the Lord said, depart from me, I never knew you. And so tonight my prayer is, as we finish this book, that you have been encouraged, that you have been challenged, but that you'll never forget that the most important thing that will ever happen to you is what you do with Jesus and the death that he paid on Calvary's cross for your sin and for mine. Father, I thank you so very, very much for your word. Lord, thank you for the wonderful privilege of journeying through 2 Timothy, the heart of the Apostle Paul, for you, for your church. Lord, it's a beautiful picture of how we, how I, should love you and your church. Tonight, Lord, I pray for those that are here tonight that don't know you, Lord, as your personal Savior. Lord, I pray that conviction only you can send, Lord, is drawing and working and moving in their hearts tonight. But Lord, I pray for this church that you would help us to realize the privilege we have, the great blessings we have, 
the great opportunities that we have. And Lord, give us a new spirit of, of, of desire and dedication, Lord, because we can grow weary. We can grow weary looking around saying, am I the only one doing the work? Am I the only one doing this? Are we the only ones doing that? And Lord, remind us that we're not alone, that you're at work and that it matters. And so, Father, I pray that you'd forgive me of any sin in my life that would hinder these prayers or quench what your Spirit's trying to do in this place. And I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.